Welcome, welcome coaches, teachers, parents, and medical professionals. You are listening to Larissa Mills and my podcast at the table. I am the founder of iParentGen.com and today and every day we are going to discuss how families and schools are managing technology and raising children and teaching them. We are also going to listen to how technology is impacting athletes and their level of sport. So let's get to it. Stay tuned and please call in with your questions or join us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. But parents, you are not alone. There are courses, articles, and videos on my website. Please sign up for free. So let's get listening. Hello, Elaine. How are you doing? I am doing well, Larissa. How are you doing? Good, good, good. I'm so happy that you're here today and that you are joining us at uh, the Parent Talk. And I'm so excited to share with everybody that Elaine is here to talk to us about gaming addiction. She is a gaming addiction specialist. She is an author. She does different talks if you want to invite her to your organization. Um, She's also a coach. She's also unfortunately had to endure gaming addiction in her household and my I I wanted to call you my kindred spirit on the gaming side (laughs) because absolutely I am struggling with the phone on the other side so Elaine can you first of all welcome thank you for giving me your time it's hard right to work all our times together Um, can you share a little bit about why you started to even get into being a gaming specialist yeah absolutely and, and thanks again for having me here today. I'm really delighted. I, uh, I was rolling along as um, uh, my background in social service work and holistic health. I combined yeah. those two and had a, a clinic uh, where I was coaching uh, my clients with um, emotional and physical health. And then uh, seven years ago, I received an SOS email from my 19-year-old son who was away at university And uh, he didn't think he had a video gaming addiction problem when he reached out to me. Mm -hmm. He thought it was a time management issue, Uh, Mm -hmm. but he hadn't gone to class for two months. He was holed up in his residence uh, gaming up to 16 hours a night uh, till he would literally pass out and sleeping all day. Uh, He uh, wasn't eating. He wasn't showering. uh, He wasn't thriving. And I knew something was up. I'd asked him a lot of questions, uh, but he always had justifiable answers like, you know, school's hard. I don't have time to eat. I don't have time to shower. I'm up late working on assignments. I'm not getting the same amount of sleep. That's why I look tired. Um, But he reached out because the university finally caught up with him and said, you cannot stay in residence uh, if you're not attending classes. You He'd been deregistered as a student at that point. So they gave him three days and the locks were going to be changed. It was very difficult for him because he recognized immediately that he had been lying for years about his gaming. uh, And so he had to confess Uh, He didn't actually want to reach out to me initially. He thought about running. Uh, He thought about uh, taking his life. Uh, It was a difficult time for him. Um, Mm -hmm. But when I did receive the email, I was grateful that he trusted me enough. I knew that he had other options. Mm -hmm. And so I picked up the phone and asked, what do you need? And of course, he burst into tears and said, I need you to tell me this is going to be okay. 
uh, I went to the university to retrieve him and my six foot two son had dropped to 127 pounds. Mm -hmm. He had facial tics. He had tremors. Uh, his eyes were dilated. He, his skin, which was normally peachy clean, was a mess of acne. His hair was greasy. He yeah. smelled. The room smelled. He'd been wearing his clothes for days. And he was in a very fragile state. And so I sort of put the pieces together and recognized this wasn't a time management issue. This was definitely, there were signs leading up to this. Uh, and so I recognized this was probably an addiction. And of course, at that time, it wasn't labeled an addiction by World Health. So no, no. I had to muddle through that on my well, what own. What year was that? Because yeah, because it's That was in 2014. Oh, that was a long time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until 2018 that it was established a, an actual disorder. Yeah. So uh, I began the long journey of relapse, detox, relapse, detox, getting him through university somehow um, and dealing with a lot of denial uh, until about two and a half years later, he finally um, decided for himself, this is getting in the way of me living. Uh, this is an addiction and he committed to uh, stopping. And so um, he is now over four years uh in sobriety of gaming and how so he okay go ahead so he is a success story yeah he is and what what would you attribute to how he tapered himself off or how what did you do in your family did you seek an addiction service because there are out there now but I don't know about in 2014 because now right like did you do the tapering with him I did the, I, we, I took it away immediately. It was complete detox. Uh, I got him back on a sleep awake schedule that was normal. Cause I remember he was awake all night. Yeah, I so took him to my fitness classes. Yeah. Hoping that the dopamine hit from exercise would elevate his mood. He was very, very anxious and very depressed. Um, without the gaming, he was more agitated. He was bored. Yeah. Um, and, also, he was grieving the loss of friendships because he had developed a community right. of friends online. Right. So all of that was stripped down. Uh, and, you know, I got him eating healthy to get some of that weight back on. Um, and he did see a counselor for eight weeks. He wasn't a gaming specific counselor. He didn't really understand gaming addiction at all. And of course, my son manipulated him as most addicts do because he was still in denial. So he went back to university for the second semester of second year to pick up the credits we'd learned while he was home. He'd failed in first year. So first year wasn't the success he lied and told us um, it was. And so uh, within a week. How did you guys deal with that? Did you blame him or like, did you just, how did you do, how did you manage that? Because I know for a fact, and you know, many parents feel like that's an attack on their failure, that their child didn't do well in, let's say, grade eight or grade nine or university um and the more we just sort of help them through it and don't blame them and and just support them and love them um i find the results are much um they're increased in terms of helping yeah them. i would agree yeah i approached it with compassion from day one yeah. i knew that he this isn't what he wanted he wasn't choosing to be addicted he wanted to make me proud like every other kid wants to make their parent proud right. and so i knew that the addiction was a symptom of something else and if we could get to the root of what that was then we could move forward and today you know he sometimes speaks with me and he always attributes his success to the fact that i never got angry with him that i always approached it with compassion and and tried to be as understanding as possible 
Uh, I know there's a lot of parents that get caught in the in the battleground at home, and we get so caught up in the addiction that we forget that there's a child behind the addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's key and important that we remain um, compassionate. That, yeah, and for those of you, and I know many of you have come to different talks that are listening right now, the best thing, Elaine, I think I would really like you to highlight, what are some three things that you would do when your child, when you suspect them having um, a gaming addiction, how do you want to approach that as a parent? Well, first of all, you don't want to be down on the games. You don't want to talk negatively about the games because the games are giving them something. Uh, They're hungering for it. Uh, There's something in their life they're not getting and they believe the gaming is giving that to them. It might be a sense of achievement and reward. It might be an escape. Uh, it might be an avoidance for their emotional pain. Uh, so don't talk negatively about gaming um, because you'll just shut them down. Um, and uh, again, the approach of compassion, asking and looking for clues of what's going on in their life that isn't working for them. What is it there that they're having trouble with? Um, and try and listen to them. Just listen without judgment. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. That's probably the biggest one. Um, so we have Elaine, you, I want to say it right. It's like the hockey way. Let's keep playing here today. Talking about how we can recognize gaming how we can help our children with gaming. And we know that gaming now in many countries, and I think I've researched now seven different countries with gaming addiction, and they all average, and it's interesting, Elaine, they average within an hour of each other in time use. So American Pediatric Society says gaming, kids are gaming three to four hours a day, yet I have people coming to me and you who are gaming eight hours or all night. So, I think it's about what people are offering in those surveys or whatnot. Because the Australian Pediatric Society is saying there are kids gaming for six to 10 hours a day. And in Britain, more like five to eight, but somewhere in there, it averages around to six hours a day. In Canada, it was the lowest I could see and find. What are some of the physical, we know there's physical signs to gaming because they're trying to always get an adrenaline rush, right? Um, what are the physical signs and symptoms of gaming? Would you say to gaming them? addiction? Yeah. Uh, sleep habits change, um, irritability, um, anger, uh, hostility, or despondency. Some kids become suicidal if you try to take gaming away from them, while others yeah. become very volatile. Um, change in eating habits. So you'll see uh, kids either not eating or they're sitting at their console eating junk food. Junk they're food. drinking high caffeinated yeah. drinks. Yeah. We're seeing vision issues for our children, yeah. uh, not just with the blue light, but spending too much time in front of a screen. A peripheral vision changes. You're seeing more astigmatism in kids. You're seeing yeah. more retina issues. Um, mm. Yeah, that's the physical things that I can think of. Yeah, that's what is standards are listed in different. I think it's important to highlight them because many parents um, just want to know and be aware of them. Um, they're different than phone addiction. Similar. Yes. Uh, Netflix binging is now considered an addiction. Um, and same, very similar to gaming and phones. They all kind of overlap a bit. Not eating or eating poorly because we know that the increase in dopamine and cortisol makes you crave sugar and caffeine and you keep wanting that. Right. And then you keep, or social media addiction, 
Um, I deal with people with shopping addictions, right? They get these, these, anything that is a reward pathway and works on the reward pathway is an addiction, whether it's gambling, gaming, porn, social media, or phone addiction, right? It's all in right. the same part of the brain that stimulates that part of the brain and wants it to have more and more. But I think you hit on something really, really vital to the process and the formula. We got to understand the reason why. Why right. does someone want to spend eight hours a day doing one of those high risk online um, choices? Um, and do you, what, what, what did you, um, when you deal with many children and families, is it social? Are they just not happy? Like what, what can we sort of help parents with here? What, what, what would be the why? Well, we, when we look at, uh, through the Intenta um, clinical training program, we look at the different uh, types of gamers and mm -hmm. uh, children and adults come to gaming with different mindsets. There are those who are playing recreationally and they understand that there are skills that they can take from gaming and translate into life. Mm -hmm and problem solving, micro and macro management. There's lots of great things you can learn from gaming. And so they're able to regulate their time and it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we look at the escaper gamer and that is uh, usually a child or young adult who is, has suffered some kind of trauma or is emotionally in pain. Uh, they may be on the spectrum and having difficulty oh, yeah. with social uh, contacts. Um, they may be bullied. And so they are generally using, or they may not be doing well in school. Uh, and so they're escaping um, and uh, using gaming for, for, to, for avoidance. Right. And then we have what's called the high achiever. And those are uh, young people who, and adults who may not be getting the kind of feedback they want from family members or teachers. They may not be getting the grades they're looking for. They may so not be doing well in getting sports. Getting validated and getting yes. that, that and so they are going on looking for that high reward uh, with low risk. Um, and so they're, they're the high achievers. And then the third uh, category would be the hardcore gamer. And that's a combination of the escaper and the high achiever. And mm -hmm. they are at the greatest risk of becoming addicted. Yes. And that was my and, son. Yeah. Do you have, you said you had some stats and I think that's a good place right now for us to put some stats in there. I did see that, and please confirm, that boys have a higher addiction rate for gaming than girls. Yes. Yeah, so even though it's uh, split, it's split 54% uh, of males play games and 46% okay. of females play games. Okay. However, when in terms of addiction, it is 94% males to 6% females, although we are seeing that number climb with females. And the average uh, age and gender of a video gaming addict would be a male between the ages of 18 to 25. And it's so interesting because I have, I see kids in high school who stay up all night and they're 14, 15, 16 playing Grand Theft Auto or um, what's the, I don't know the other one. Um, I had it in my head, Thunder, something really popular and they play it with children like in India or Asia and they play them all night. So I don't understand yeah. why those numbers are not reflected because these are younger. Well, they, the average addicted. So do you yeah. have to be, uh, have, you know, five of the nine symptoms for 12 straight months to be clinically uh, so diagnosed as addicted. So mm -hmm. they're falling under the radar because nobody 
companies are literally uh, diagnosing them. Yeah. Now I wanted to start off the newest statistic that came my way, which totally made me almost put a ball in the toilet, (laughs) that children are starting between ages of two and five are gaming on their iPads or little phones, and they don't want to do anything else but game on their little phones. And pediatricians, family physicians, psychologists are just starting to see this. And I picked this up from, um, I believe it was an Australian article that had done a large study and Britain had also followed suit with a very similar one. That is shocking to me, two to five. They're starting to learn how to, you know, I don't have it, but sit on a little iPad mini. It said a mini or an iPad and they're playing these little games, you know, with little, it's all about how they make them too, how highly addictive they make them. But at that age, only a parent can control it. Sure. I just watched, I was watching tennis last night and the commercial was for a Game Boy that they've just um, released that has got educational games. And it's, it looks like a three-year-old child playing it on the, um, on the screen that I saw last night. Uh, yeah, that has to be regulated by parents. Um, we, we, we tried it. We don't want um, gaming or any kind of screen around anyone under the age of two for two reasons. One, uh, that's a time for them to learn attachment. So if a mother is feeding and not looking at baby and cooing and touching, uh, but is instead scrolling through their phone, then baby learns that they should attach to the phone because it looks way more important than mom or themselves. And the second reason is that uh, children are not born learning, knowing how to see that's something that they must learn. So that in terms of uh, yes. distance, yeah. uh, so yeah. I- any any lifting their head, sitting up, rolling over, crawling, mm-hmm. uh, standing, walking, those are all milestones which helps a child learn mm-hmm. peripheral and distance vision. Mm-hmm. And if you sit them down with this tiny little screen that's only a few feet away from them, that's yeah. what their sight is going to learn. So here here's something crazy. Something I, I had, someone had posted to me in a TikTok video. It was a, it was a psychotherapist who found it online and it was a baby. Probably I want to say the baby was able to crawl. So I know it was probably what, six, eight months crawling, small, still small, not able to walk. And it had a choice of going to its mother and going to a phone. And where do you think it crawled? To the phone. Yep. Right. And we're finding that moms today are just scrolling while they're nursing and scrolling and looking at social media or emails or phones. And today the children, babies have more stigmatisms and yes. eye issues than they've ever seen in ophthalmology. And, and in defense of those moms, it's because up until they had children, that was their life scrolling on their phone. Right. And so there has to to be this transition period, I yeah. think even before baby is born, where they start to change those habits and learn that they can't continue to scroll no. at that extreme yeah. when they become a, a new mother. Yeah. And the bond of security and attachment really has to be formed and it takes early. time and it has to be yes. done early. And then again, yes. it has to form again by age eight and 10, right? Because the baby and the child has to be able to be secure in relationships and have a confidant in order to pass through the other um, abstract and concrete thinking, right? In terms of relationship. Right. And I, 
I worry because those moms and there's a, a, a psychotherapist coming on to talk about it because she deals a lot with her practices, postpartum moms. So it is about educating young parents because it mm -hmm. breaks my heart when parents are having an opportunity to bond, coup, read the Eric Carl books. Those are the best times I had with my children was teaching them words and the sound of your voice. Right. And, and feeling that, feeling that, that security and eye contact, just eye contact. Right. And I am very aware of that. Even with my own children, I'm like, when we greet people, it's eye contact, shake their hands. Hello. How are you? And thank goodness. It, I mean, it took years to kind of, you know, in different phases of the children to teach that. So I was doing some research and you, I think you had thrown me a statistic that I never thought about this. It, gaming is a multi-billion dollar business a year, yes. like 8 billion, which blew my mind, which means that we have computer engineers and coders that are paid a lot of money. And I've met a few of them to make and create addictive games. How can we as parents sort of find games that aren't addictive or highly addictive? Do you have a, is there a chart or um, a reference of resources? I don't have a chart, but you would want to yeah. look for games that have an ending. If you have games right. with no okay. ending, they're yeah. more likely to stay on and continue to play. So, you know, okay. some of the earlier Super Mario games those have endings. I know that too, had an you know? ending. You got to get the yes. princess, right? Right, exactly. Yes, yeah. so there's got to be a quest that you can uh, get to uh, within a, a time frame that's healthy. Okay. Like what would, like an hour, 45 minutes? Well, it depends on the age of the child. Yeah. And, yeah. and each child differs. You know, lots of children can spend three hours gaming and then still get their homework and everything else done. Um, so it really depends on your child. You have to know your child. The multiplayer online games are more difficult to manage uh, because they're yeah. on with their friends. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's the social aspect of it, but yeah. also um, they need to, parents need to have an activity that's available to a child when the game ends. So when you've given them a time uh, constraint on the video game, then have something for them to do when it finishes. Otherwise they have no reason to get off. Well, there's nothing else to do. Right. Uh, and generally it should be something physical and yes. outside would outside. be best. Yeah, right. because what we're, what we're seeing now and saying is if your child is on a screen for one hour, they need to go outside and do something else for two hours. That's right. sort of, we call it, if you're gonna be on the screen, you also have to be in the green. You have to be outside right. to, to compensate for that time. And yeah, because there's a lot of kids today who, if you are working with them uh, and say, well, go back to what you were doing before you gamed. A lot of kids are saying, I haven't done anything else. And they they're just not go back to the sports, other YouTube, not in the arts. another iPad. They're like, what right. Is, right. So they're going from screen to screen. Right. Never going outside. I mean, I'm so lucky we live in a neighborhood where almost all our kids do go outside. Right. They all play the cross age play, like the good old nineties, you know, play. Yes. Um, yes. And I really, really, I'm fortunate, but I also think the parents around here foster it. Right. Yes, because that's all... rare. In neighborhoods I'm walking around, they're dead. There's no yeah. one outside. There's no one even shooting hoops in the driveway. Oh, gosh, really? They're all in here. They're almost all in our, our neighborhood. It's, Wonderful. it's refreshing. And, and I found that because I live in a very old part of London, if I go to the suburbs, we don't see kids out playing. Right. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? 
I think it's gotten a little better. I saw more people outside in my city during the initial parts of COVID, a lot more families outside walking, a lot more kids out, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's gone quiet again. (laughs) Yeah. We now I know Christmas is coming and people, uh, I think this will be on before Christmas. Um, I know that we live in a fairly materialistic society, right? We're always buying our kids things, buying them more than what we had. And it really is a Christmas, I think, where after being in two pandemics, one during a lockdown last year, we should refrain from purchasing tech. How can we, what can we say to parents to buy sort of safe tech or go tech free this Christmas? What would be, or even apps that are safe or um, what would be your suggestion this Christmas? Well, buy experiences. There's mm-hmm. lots of great experiences that you can buy uh, certificates for for your child. Uh, when my son was home from university that first Christmas after yeah. we discovered the uh, addiction, yeah. he always wanted to go skydiving. Um, oh, he has gosh. since. But we bought him the skydiving. No, he did it. He did it. It's out of his system. We we survived it. But uh, we bought him um, the simulator um, certificate so that he could go to the skydiving simulator in, in Oakville for Christmas that year. And he loved that. So he could go and learn in the simulators how he would manage when he finally did go uh, skydiving. Right. But there's so many different experiences you can buy for your kids. And there's lots of other gadgets that they can use outside. Uh, get them interested in a sport and buy them sports equipment um, or art equipment. Uh, sorry, art supplies if yeah. they're into the arts. Uh, yeah. yeah, we were thinking uh, I, I've made a list for Christmas. Christmas. And, and one of them was getting them into a hobby like drawing or craft or pottery. It doesn't matter the kid and, and taking them to the, even the PUC because they have cheaper sessions of like floor hockey inside. It doesn't have to be competitive hockey. And I think parents really have to think about that, right? Like it doesn't have to be competitive. It doesn't have to be, we just need them exposed to different things especially by the age of eight or kids have a really hard time um being athletic and fit after 10 as the new statistics um but you can take them to a a trampoline park for christmas yes right you can take them to um there's lots of outdoor indoor um gym like parks that they can go to and a trampoline park and things like that or take them to a movie you know where Things, things like that. I think we have a lot of options, but we really have been gravitating towards tech for, I think, the last 10 years. Absolutely. Maybe even longer. <laughs> I was certainly buying tech for my kids. Phone, right? My oldest is 30. 2007 was I smartphone. Gaming Xbox came in in 2000. Was it two? The first one. I don't know. My kids were on Game Boys in the 90s. Oh, right, 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 right. I forgot about those ones. Yeah. Now, and educational games on their PCs as well. True, true. Like word, we can have word games and those types of games and introducing children to short amounts of games instead of like 30 minutes and put a timer, right? Right. And, and, and play make- with your children. You can yeah. learn so much about your child while you're playing with them. Ask them about their character 
characters that they're creating, <clears throat> excuse me, their little avatars, because you'll learn more about your child in those moments. Ask them about the friends they're talking to. Ask them about, mm -hmm. you know, you could say things like, wow, that looked like a really difficult challenge. Tell me how you got through that, how you problem yeah. solved so that you understand that the child is there on, that and is learning problem solving. They're right. not just there robotically playing, not even thinking about that. And I really and, um, brought that up because we also have to be concerned about stranger danger and luring and pictures and who we're playing online. Would you want to explain some of those dangers? So let, let her uh, go random online the other day, my friend's mom um, or my friend found her son on a gaming uh, console with somebody who was 27 <laughs> found out he was a ex or he was in jail. He's a pedophile. Yes. Yep. That's a huge, huge issue. In the last 10 years, okay. child pornography has increased by 1,500%. Children as young as uh, four are finding pornography through the internet uh, yes. and don't understand it. Yes. There are yep. 100,000 child pornography sites that involve 20,000 children. And each day there are four to five new children added. Those are pretty frightening statistics. And what's Maybe happening is young children. That. Those, those yeah. numbers are staggering. They're staggering. And that is because of the internet. Because of the internet, yeah. you're yeah. seeing this explosive rise. But what's happening is little girls are watching pornographic material where they are, women are being berated, they're being strangled, yes. they are it's they're being uh, hit. Yeah. And, and the women in the videos and young girls um, are looking like they're enjoying it. Right. So this is confusing for young girls because they then think that they are supposed to enjoy this kind of violence in sex and mm -hmm. on the other hand young boys are watching this and they yeah. are learning oh this is what sex and mm -hmm. uh intimacy looks like with women mm -hmm. this is what i'm supposed to do and on top of that um female characters in video games are highly sexualized oh yes um yes and yes. so unbelievable this is this is creating a rape culture. Yeah. Uh, yes, and we're is. seeing more girls being roofied, uh, and more girls being sexually uh, assaulted at okay. younger ages. Yes. It's very, very frightening. And, and I did a, um, an amazing podcast. You may find that you want to reach out to Mikkel Greenberg Cohen, who's a sex educator, Better Talk the Talk. And when she told me that one in 11 girls have experienced violence while dating in the last year, ages 12 to 18, and one in 14 boys have experienced violence dating in the last um, year or two. And that was put out by the American Pediatric Society. Scary. And, and I thought, and I said to her, of course it was the exact same discussion that we are allowing children on a device more, which allows them the opportunity to see more and then right. we're seeing other images and the kids that are growing up physically they think they are before they're psychologically ready they don't know how to deal with right. any of the stuff that they're no they're seeing and hearing and being sexted right, right. um an eight-year-old mom said this little boy asked the little girl to show him his penis and mm -hmm. i'm i'm like what on the gaming console yes and i'm like yes <laughs> And I'm like, are we sure we know that's, I'm like, so that's how this woman found out that this was a man. It was not right. an eight-year-old boy. Right. 
Right. Yeah. We need to talk to our children about pornography. It won't make them go searching for it. If you have that conversation, you have to have a healthy conversation about it with your children. And we have to be monitoring, you know, no, I always say no digital devices in the bedroom. It should not be this private secretive activity that your child does. Uh, yeah. And, you know, key loggers, uh, parental controls, you take the router away right. uh, at nighttime uh, if you have to, but always be supervising what your children are, are seeing and are doing on the computer. And I think that you're, 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 we're, we've talked about this four or five times now. It comes back to the same thing. Parents need to chat with their children and communicate and educate. Right. It's not a, right. it's not a monologue. It's a dialogue with your kids. Right. It's here. And even I've even helped parents write and create um, uh, gaming rules and expectations and safety precautions and keep them right. listed as they're young, right? Look at them. So that's well, one of the things we have to remember too is parents need to tell their children that if they do find themselves in trouble on the internet with a perpetrator, that they shouldn't be afraid to come and tell them that they will not be in trouble, that they need, they need to know that that's a safe place because we know predators are saying, you know, you can't tell your parents and they're threatening them. Uh, And so, so a lot of children will feel enormous shame and guilt and think that they're going to be in trouble if they share. And so parents need to have upfront that conversation that we will, we promise we will never be upset. It is a safe place for you to share. Yeah. Uh, And also we always talk to children about um, touching so, you know, no, no touching areas that a bathing suit covers. But what often happens is it's not necessarily a hand that's touching. It's often objects that are touching. And so we have to stretch that conversation further yes. and talk to children about the fact that it cannot, no objects can touch their body there either. Yes. And it's because we've, we've been, I've been reading about how luring and grooming work and how it takes a, a person who is a pedophile four to six months to really groom a child to get to the point where they're comfortable taking off their child, their clothes. Um, I thought that was a long, that was from the RCMP. Um, I just went through a, a summit on uh, child safety and it, they said that it could take 10 minutes. It can, it can. I think they, this was more in the conduction or line of thought if they were thinking of eventually grabbing that child or trying to lure of course. Them. Yeah. And, and they had an ongoing relationship with that child. Right. And building months. trust. Building trust is yeah. the big thing. You can't tell your parents, I'm the only one that loves you and validates you. Right. 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 And they tell them everything they want to hear. And it's so easy to be swayed by that when you're 11 or 10. Sure. And you've got mom and dad telling you to do these chores and do these things. And then you've got this person who's just unconditional love and unconditional right. uh, um, praise and unconditional um uh, yeah, yeah, you're the best and, and validates that person more. So especially through those middle school years, (laughs) those are tough years for kids. Yeah. Now my last question, I always ask people, um, if you had a magic wand and you could change anything or help any families or kids, um, prevent addiction or gaming addiction, what, what would you like to do or see changed for the future? I honestly would like to see more ethical games being developed. Um, yeah. On bottom line, and I'd like to see uh, the male-female relationship uh, look more balanced and less uh, sexualized and less misogynistic. 
Yeah, that would um, be great. That'd be a good start. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe this one girl, she, uh, in high school, she had been playing games and tried to, you know, cause the boys were playing games in her class and um, they ended up having sexual relations at lunchtime violently yeah. with this one girl because they were all playing this one game. And it took, it took about four months for them all to get to that point where they were comfortable. And then they started videotaping it, but they were videotaping what they were seeing online. Right. I, and when I say ethical, I don't, I'm, I don't necessarily just mean the sexual side of it. I mean, ethical in terms of the, yeah, the addictive uh, aspect, the, the loot boxes, the, oh, the okay. gambling that's within games, uh, gambling, all of that. Yeah. 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 I would, I would like to see games actually that were about, being how you're measuring someone's goodness too. Like, let's right. save the child, change the game. Let's be the hero. Let's right. um, let's help, you know, the old lady across the road type of games. Because if we're just saying shoot and kill and you're rewarding, what are well, you rewarding? And there are games that do that. Um, yeah. And there are games that are very creative. Yeah, uh, like Fortnite's probably my biggest issue that I deal with. For kids under 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And parents just have to end up taking that thing out because they just can't stop. Right. So we have our, our ways in which we taper. The tapering doesn't work, but taking that box out, all of a sudden the child is happier, sleeps better and eats better. Right. Yeah. And I don't necessarily recommend a full detox. In fact, for most of my families, they're not, not detox. We look at harm reduction. I'm yeah. working mostly with adult um, young gamers as well uh, yeah. that are addicted. I try to help them build a life around yeah. their gaming. So you yeah. can reduce the amount of game and let's look at what your interests are and let's look at where you, you know, let's look at the pain you're in and how, how, what you need for that, what kind of right. help you need for that. Uh, and then let's build a life around yes. your, your gaming interest as opposed to we're just going to remove it completely. Right. Um, you know, that worked temporarily for my son, but he continued to relapse many times. Mm-hmm. And then he did his own harm reduction. He stopped the online multi games first yeah. and then he, really multiplayer games. And yeah. then he just played console games. And then he found uh, there was a weekend where he was, you know, 48 hours and he was still playing that and he realized, oh, this can be just as addictive. And then he switched to phone games. And what was happening is the game would continue playing on and he, he'd pass out and fall asleep and it would run his battery. And then his alarm wasn't going off for him to get up for his job. He had this fantastic yeah. summer job that, you know, with plans that when he graduated, he would be hired full time. And he realized, oh my gosh, this gaming is removing, uh, removing all opportunity for me to move forward with my career. Yeah. Yeah. And so he gave it all up completely, but that's rare for a, an addicted gamer to entirely give it up because it is a behavioral addiction yeah. you know, substance abuse. We, we use full detox, but in behavioral addictions, we try to find a, a bottom line that they can work around. Yeah. Like mostly we, we work with the tapering and mostly yeah. it works. Um, and then other times it depends on the family's abilities. Sometimes they, they remove it, but it's all about, I think it's good to remove it for a certain period of time so that yeah. you can get a reset to the brain and heal the brain and have you and your child see what life is like without gaming yes. and then maybe bring it back in in a regulated way at that point. I, I agree with that. I said, you can't take it away forever because they've got to at, at some point be able to control themselves and manage themselves. Right. And plus right. we have to show them that they do have other interests and they do have friends and they do have activities and sports and we do have to take care of our, in our house, it's 
eating body, like almost all of our kids have to do physio of some description because of their sport or they've been injured or broke. Well, you know, the one had a broken wrist. Right. Um, and then the other one had skates a lot. So he has it band issues and the other one had swimmers. She's got back. So it's like, you got to eat, sleep and take care of your bodies. You have to do, um, you know, you have to choose your friendships for the day, like choose who you're going to hang out with and have fun with them. And then we do a little bit of family time. And when that's done, there's not much time left to go on a device. Right. Right. Yeah. My son said that a fitness is really what has saved him through his addiction and recovery. Yeah, I bet. But, yeah, he's gone back to his former love of snowboarding. Cool. He's working out <laughs> at the like... gym again. He's doing, he, nice. he discovered Muay Thai martial arts. He plays tennis. Uh, he said that is really what keeps him going. When he starts to fall and starts to think about gaming as a coping mechanism, then he recognizes, okay, I've gotten off track. I need to get back to the gym. I need to, you know, get outside for more walks. I need to eat healthier. Um, Elaine, can you tell everybody um, all about your book and where we can get it and how they can reach you? So my first book is called Seeing Through the Cracks, and it was really kind of written as a memoir on the transition between parenting your child and parenting your adult child. Uh, but before I started writing it, I learned about the, his addiction. And so I included that because now I had an adult child with an, an addiction. And so I wasn't really sure what my role was in terms of that, what my legal rights were in terms of helping him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that caught, caught on as the video gaming addiction yeah. book. Um, and my second book is called Cyber Sober, A Caregiver's Guide to Video Gaming Addiction. And in that one, I called upon some experts. I do tell my story through the nine signs uh, and through Dr. D. Clemente. Um, uh, five stages of addiction. And my son uh, sat with me on four different occasions and allowed me to interview him. And so you really get inside the mind of the gamer mm-hmm. and what was going on for him through the process of um, falling into the trap of becoming addicted and then through the recovery process. And I think that's probably most important for parents to understand is to get inside the mind of the gamer and really understand what's happening for them. Yeah. Yeah, that helps that helps build the compassion component. Yeah. And I, um, I want to say too, just before we end that Elaine gave us um, some really incredible tips to spot gaming, how to adjust when we discover our child is really over their, I want to say over their use. And some we have gone through some of the physical symptoms of gaming. They are easier to spot. Sometimes parents say than the, you know, the mental ones like mood or um, um, fatigue and whatnot, because that can be cover phone addiction or just general puberty. Right. <laughs> so, um, sure. We have and giving to- up all other activities, giving up time with family. That's the biggest notice I think is, and, and they give up everything to start playing. Mm-hmm. Um, So we've gone through about three or four strategies, but mostly it's about the three that I'd like everybody to take away with on the parent talk today is communicate with your child first about gaming and set up their gaming with games that are morally balanced, if you can, or educational and appropriate to their age. And they always want to play a game that's older because they have, they see other siblings or friends have older siblings and they're on games that are simply not appropriate for their psychological development. Um, Kids should not be, they said, gaming under six years old in Britain or on a phone in Canada under two. 
Um, I think actually in Canada now it's under six, which is great, but allowing them to play on little iPad midis, not so, so safe um, with the eyes, but limiting games to which uh, have a moral ending and an ending, uh, uh, Elaine, you said that, right? Are a little bit better. Right. Right. And educating them about the concerns and the safety concerns when they do play, especially like a multiplayer game and uh, in which they have to follow friends or show handles or show cameras. There's ways to turn those cameras off too. Right. On the, on the consoles, I think, and to a, like if you use different, uh, like the following app or parenting controls. Did, did we use that? Did we use? Did we, do you use a parenting control? Oh, did I use a parenting yeah. control? Yeah. I Sorry, I cut, not. We cut out there, people. I couldn't see. Yeah. 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 I, no, I did not use parenting control. I mean, I did, uh, my kids ate at the table with us. There was no consoles or anything allowed and no, uh, game boys allowed at the table. We ate together. We traveled together. My kids were involved in all kinds of sports and the arts. They did well in school. Mm-hmm. So we looked like a family that was living a pretty balanced, healthy, wholesome life. Uh, but in my son's case, uh, he, the bullying started in middle school. Uh, and that kind of took him down. A, and he said he was fine and he was handling it. And in retrospect, uh, I probably should have intervened and he wasn't really handling it. And then it just snowballed. Um, so I'm not sure that parenting control would have helped that situation. That was more of an emotional issue that we needed to deal with. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he would get off the computer if I told him to get off. It was, it was when he went off to university and he had free reign that things got out of control for him. Mm-hmm. Well, Elaine, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for educating parents about um, all the different safety guards, all the different ways in which we can prevent addiction. And um, hopefully people can go out there and find your book or grab you for a talk. Um, but thank you so much for being here on the Parent Talk today. Thanks for having me, Larissa. It's a pleasure. Thank you.